anybody familiar with the Titanic? Not the movie, the boat. Anybody ever sail on it? No? No? All right. The Titanic was commissioned in 1908. You're familiar with this. Um, it set sail on its maiden and only voyage in, uh, I believe it was April of 1912. And, and it was already a, a cautionary tale. It was already an amazing story in the history of, uh, of the United States and of England and, and, and of, of nautical things, you know. But then the movie was made in the, in the 90s and it really kind of brought it back to the forefront uh, and there were some people that were really pursuing the, the, the wreckage and, and to trying to understand the story and how things happened the way that they did. Uh, but really, it, it serves as a cautionary tale uh, because if you remember, maybe from the movie or just from being a history buff, the designers of this boat and the builders of this boat believed it to be indestructible. They believed it to be a ship that could not be sunk. They believed that there was nothing that could bring this ship down. It was so powerful. It was so mighty. It was so safe. So much so did they believe this, that they did not put enough lifeboats or, or, or vessels to get people off in case of the worst. They didn't put enough on there to actually save all the people that could be on the boat. So, again, if you've seen the movie, maybe that's your point of reference. Or if you've read the stories or you've done any kind of history research, which you can do, by the way. Just go to Google. I did this this week. Type in Titanic. And in 0.27 seconds, that's about uh, 27 one hundredths of a second, Google will send you back 26.8 million references to Titanic. That's a lot because it's a big story. But, but what happened is that they believed it's so indestructible that they didn't put enough lifeboats on there so that when it actually hit an iceberg one night, that the ship started going down and... There was no way for everybody that was on board to be saved. And you remember, again, from the movie or maybe from history, because it's all, it's all reality. Never let go. I'll never let go. Right? If you've seen the movie, you, you think that's funny. If not, you're like, he's lost his mind. Um, but, but the idea being that, that they believed it to be indestructible. And when I thought about this, I mean, I thought, okay, they, they thought when we build this thing, it can't be destroyed. And then... The unthinkable happens. They encountered some type of setback and then they weren't prepared to deal with it. And for whatever reason, that became a point of reference for me this week and over the previous weeks as I was looking at today's topic about love because I see this same pattern in a lot of our love relationships. We set out with this grand vision of what can be, right? I mean... If it's a romantic relationship, we set out with with all kinds of romance and romantic comedies and everything is, I mean, like it's ooey gooey deciding where to eat on dates sometimes. And it's like, where do you want to go? I don't care where you want to go. I don't care where you want to go. I just want to be together. Okay, well, let's just sit here and not eat. Let's just starve ourselves. I mean, like it's ridiculous, right? Because there's just this, there's, there's so much emotion involved and there's so much romance involved. And so, you know, that we start out with this idea that, that. We're indestructible. Nothing could set us back. And then we stand, if, if you are talking about a marriage relationship, you stand in front of a justice of the peace, you stand in front of a, a pastor, you stand in front of some type of minister, you stand in front of a cruise ship director. I don't know what your story is. Postmaster General may be able to do this thing at this point. I don't know. But you stand there, and in some form or fashion, you are pledging yourself to say, hey, for better or for worse, for richer for poor. So death do us part. I mean, we are committed. There is this Loctite, ironclad commitment, covenant between us. And then something happens. 
And it could be anything. It could be small. It could be large. It could be anything. But there's some type of setback. It doesn't have to be this humongous iceberg, right? But there's something that happens. And there's a setback, and we're not prepared to deal with it. Now, you can take it outside of the context of romantic relationships. You can go into friendships. Maybe you had a friend. Maybe you've had a friend. Um, and, and something, you know, in that relationship that was kind of ironclad. We were friends. We hung out all the time. We did things together. To, and something happened, and we experienced some type of setback. We saw something. We heard something. We, there was something that was said. Something was done. We experienced some type of setback, and we were ill-prepared to deal with it. And so when I look at the story of the Titanic, I see this incredible parallel with some of our human love relationships that we start out with one idea we experience a setback and we are ill prepared to deal with it and that kind of takes us into this love chapter first corinthians 13 where we have been living for the last few weeks and so if you got a bible you can flip with me to first corinthians 13 you got an app or something i think the the bible app if you're a one of those u version whatever it was called has got an update it's really cool so if you got that you can flip with us there or you can view this on the screens today but we're going to look at this idea of love is enduring First Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. This is the NIV translation. I tell you that because in just a minute, we're going to read a different translation of the exact same passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always Perseveres. That last verse is is really challenging, convicting. Um, but I want to read verse seven, and then we're going to jump to a different translation. But it says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's jump from the NIV to the same passage of scripture in the ESV. This is the English Standard Version. It's actually my preferred translation of scripture. I, I read from it most of the time. But this is what the ESV says of the same passage, beginning in verse four: Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Listen to this part, verse 7, and and see if it sounds a little different to the previous uh, translation. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Things. Now, while the first few verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, are pretty similar between the NIV and the ESV that we read here, um, they're pretty similar, verses 4, 5, and 6. There's a few different words, there's a few things there, and when we look at translations, we are not saying that they mean different things. What happens is the way that biblical scholars, they take and they don't translate something from an already existing translation. So like the ESV guys didn't take the NIV and go, no, I think I'm going to choose this word. It makes a little more sense in English. They actually went back to the original manuscripts. So, you know, for the Old Testament, we're talking about Hebrew. For the New Testament, we're primarily talking about Greek or Aramaic. And they went back to the original transcripts, the the oldest, most reliable sources that they could find, and they translated it from there. And so there are some nuances in the translation. And we have very credible translations and we have uh, some translations that aren't very credible. But both of these are commonly accepted as credible uh, translations of scripture. And verse 7 in these two passages, they they don't mean something different, but they choose different words to describe a similar thing. In the NIV that we read, it said, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In the ESV, it said this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, again, very similar ideas, 
but a little different nuance in the words that were chosen there. And I want to I kind of hang out in the ESV, that last translation that we just read, which I think will stay on the screen here for a couple minutes. But I want to kind of hang here because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want to see what can we use out of this to evaluate our love relationships. And so what I did is I just took the four words that jumped out to me in this translation of this scripture that jumped out of me. And I said, okay, let, let me evaluate for me personally. Well, let me evaluate these words and what they actually mean in how I am in a loving relationship. And the first one is bears. Love bears all things. And when you look up bears, it's a grizzly animal. No, 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 a different kind of bear. Um, love bears is to put up with something annoying. Okay, so filter that through your loving relationships. Think about the people that you love. Some of you right now are elbowing one another. I saw some grinning towards one another. And again, I'm not just talking about married couples. Brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers seem to be doing that. Because we love in spite of your annoyance, right? There are things that you do. My wife does none of those things. But I am a bear to live with. A grizzly animal that is annoying, right? Love bears all things. Love puts up with all annoying things. Let's evaluate our loving relationships through that filter. The second thing that it said is it says it believes all things. To believe is to think that something is true. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Except let's take that and let's put it into the context of a conversation where it seems like it can't be true. You don't have to go very far. It doesn't have to be this highly emotionally charged conversation. But let's just take it to a moment where it can't possibly be true in your head. There's no way you can take the details that you're being being given, the things that you're being told, and you put those in and now believe that. Because this person that you love is saying, here's what happened, here's what's happening, here's what's going on, here's what... And believe those things. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says that I believe, I think that it's true. All things in the context of my loving relationship. Now, we talked last week about love being truthful. So the other party in this loving relationship is on the hook to be truthful. They're on the hook not to hide. They're on the hook not to be deceitful. But as as far as it depends on me, as much as it's on me, how do I respond to what they're telling me? Well, I put up with some things that are annoying. And I'm supposed to believe, to think things to be true, maybe when it's hard to see how that all plays out. The third thing that we read in verse 7 of the ESV is that it hopes all things. Now, to hope is to look towards a good tomorrow, right? We don't hope for a bad tomorrow. To hope is to look towards a good tomorrow. And so the evaluation tool for me as it relates to love in the context of my loving relationships is, am I looking for a good tomorrow? Or am I so pessimistic about the state of affairs now? Am I so negatively thinking about what's happened and what got us to this point and why things are broken and all those things? Am am I thinking that tomorrow is going to be a better day? Am I excited about where we're headed? Am I excited about what life holds for us tomorrow and the next day and in a few weeks and in a few months and in a few years? Maybe this stage of your life, no matter what stage you find yourself in, if you're a student... If you're out of school, but you're kind of new in the workplace and you're single, or maybe you've been in the workplace for a while and you're single, maybe you're newly married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're a young family with young kids, maybe your kids are older, maybe your kids are out of the house, 
Maybe you're newly retired or looking at retirement just right around the corner. Maybe you've been retired a while and now you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent. No matter what stage of life you're in, how do you look toward tomorrow? And how do you look toward tomorrow in the context of a loving relationship? Do I believe that tomorrow will be a good day in this relationship? And then the fourth thing that we read is it endures all things. To endure is to continue. To continue on. To endure all things. That's difficult sometimes because we don't know what things includes here. We don't know what things are exempt from this, where the clause lies in this scenario, or if it's just all things. And in that, how do we endure through that? And so here are some questions. These will not be on the screen, so just kind of hang with me here. I'm just going to ask a few evaluation questions. And as I typed these out, wrote these out, thought these out, you know, through the impression of the Holy Spirit on me, I just, I kind of, I, I evaluated for me, okay? This is the first one. How well do I put up with annoyance from those that I love? How well? Am I easily irritated by annoying things? Probably so. But how about that in the context of my relationships where I say that I love these people? How often, second question, do I think that they're telling me the truth even when it seems difficult to believe? If I believe all things, how often do I believe that they're telling me the truth even when that seems difficult? The third question is how often am I looking toward a good tomorrow instead of looking for a way out? How often am I looking for a good tomorrow instead of looking for a way out? And here's what I would say. I don't want to paint us all in the same broad brush here, but I would say that your answer to these questions probably determines whether or not you can endure. Endures all things. That's the fourth that we read. But probably the way that I answer the first three will determine if I can endure or not. If I am so easily annoyed with everything that they do, if I am so easily quick to kind of jump to their lying, they're deceiving me, and I can't find it in my heart to believe, if I am really, really looking for a way out rather than hoping towards a good tomorrow, I don't know in that current mindset if I can endure the way that I answered those questions probably determines whether or not I am able to endure. You know, we, we've, we've read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 for six weeks in a row. So if you've been with us all six weeks, you're going to get a gold star on your way out today. They'll put it right on your... I'm just kidding. But you've heard this verse before. If today's the first time you've been here during this entire series, you've heard this verse. You've heard these verses And I'm going to just paraphrase what we've been reading, okay? But I'm going to paraphrase them through what we've been talking about, about enduring. Okay, here's, here's what happens for me. Most often, I might fall out of love when I quit being kind. If, if love is patient and kind, I'm probably falling out of love when I quit being kind, when I quit being patient, when I start envying the relationship that other people have and whatever that entails, When I just start being rude for no reason, when I become selfish, when I become irritable, when I keep a tally of how they have done me wrong, and when I start hiding the truth. Every one of those comes right out of verses 4, 5, and 6. 
And if I'm called to always protect and always believe, if I'm called to bear all things, if I'm called to believe all things, if I'm called to hope all things, if I'm called to endure all things, then I cannot make it about them. I can't make it about what he said or he did or what she said or she did outside of marriage, outside of dating, in in, in friendships. I can't make it about them. I believe this passage of scripture most often is a personal evaluation tool. It's the filter. It's the lens because it's easy for us to sit the last five weeks and listen to this and go, yeah, they're not kind to me. They're not patient with me. They keep record of wrongs when I do something wrong. It's, it, man, they're rude, they're arrogant, they envy, they're boastful. And we can point the finger at other people and say, look at them, look what they do. They don't live this out. But if we are honest with ourselves, this passage of scripture provides a personal evaluation. This is really looking through a lens to evaluate my heart. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I rude? Am I selfish? Do I bear all things? Do I believe all things? Do I hope all things? Do I endure all things? And, and I, I get, okay, please understand, I am a glass half full guy. More so than that, because even when it's half full, I can see the evaporated water on the top that's steam now or it's fall. It, it used to be full. It is still almost full. You just can't see all. I'm a positive guy. I'm always looking for the positive lining in just about every circumstance of life. I, I, can, I can hear you say something that you mean to be incredibly negative. And I can go, yeah, but have you thought about how? It's just the way I'm wired. It's the way my parents wired me. And so I get that what I am saying to you sounds so incredibly idealistic. I get it. I know that right now you have thought of nine things that we shouldn't hope in in the relationships that you're a part of. You've thought of four scenarios that you're living out right now that we cannot believe in. You've got two people in your life right now. I mean right now that you can't endure with. And you know those circumstances. I don't. I, I don't think that I'm called to come here today and say, okay, let's, let's lift our hands if you have a scenario. And then let's, let's kind of evaluate in, in community here, which are the things you shouldn't believe? Which are the things you shouldn't endure? Which are the things you shouldn't hope in? Which are the things you shouldn't bear? I think today I'm just kind of called to come and to say, okay, 1 Corinthians 13 Paul writing to a church in the midst of talking about them living in community. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are about how they are to exist in community. In the church, spiritual gifts, the way they edify and build up one another. And right at the end of chapter 12, I encourage you to read this, just this three chapter portion of scripture. It's awesome. Right at the end of chapter 12, after talking about spiritual gifts and talking about the church and talking about community, Paul says this at the end of verse 12. He says, but let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you the most excellent way. And then four verses later, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not self-seeking. I am challenged personally not to be seeking maybe all of the gifts, but to evaluate the core part of my humanity. 
and say, how am I living in relationship with one another before I ever approach a holy God to be used by him to do anything else? This chapter continues on, and we're not even going to read it today. But Paul talks about the fact that we don't understand everything about God. He talks about us looking dimly through this idea of trying to figure out what it all means and what it all looks like. And there are some gifts, and they're going to pass away at one point. Sometime those things pass away, but we're left with faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Paul makes a point here to say to all of us, love and the way that we love is a core foundational piece for living. And so again, I I get that there are some circumstances that are out of the bounds of what we're reading here. If you right now are in some type of abusive relationship, don't stay there. Find a way to get out of that abusive relationship for a long period of time, a short period of time until things can be corrected, but do not stay there. Do not hear me calling you to endure that. God never called you to that. If you're in some type of relationship where the covenant of that relationship, that marriage, that relationship, the whatever things that you committed to, if those things have been broken, then there are definitely biblical grounds, depending on the circumstances, for you to evaluate your ability to get out. But when I read this passage of Scripture, I I just see love bearing all things, believing all things, and hoping all things, and enduring all things. So I get that it sounds idealistic. I get that it may not work in every single one of your circumstances. I get that there are relationships that you are in right this very second and, and, and you have the right or deserve the right to go and do something else and leave that person behind. And there's probably scripture to support the decisions that you're making. But then I'm just left holding these things. Bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And I cannot project that on others if I do not reflect on those things in my own heart. And so here's, I think, three small realities that I'm left believing according to God's word, according to the example of Jesus Christ. Here are the three things that I think you could walk away from today knowing. Love can endure in unlovely situations. If love endures all things, if we're left with faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, if I watch the example of Jesus Christ to understand how he interacted with other human beings in even the most unlovely situations, then love can endure in unlovely situations. I believe that. The second thing that I think you can walk away from is that love can endure in unloving relationships. I wish it weren't the case. I wish everyone in your life would respond and reciprocate the love that you give. You know, love languages are a, a funny thing. And if you're familiar with that concept, it comes out of, out of a book, really, but a lot of supplementary material now. But the idea that I love most often in the way that I receive love. And so if I'm just, you know, just loving you by spending time with you, 
it probably tells you that the way that I experience love is through quality time. If I'm just giving you words of affirmation all the time, if I'm just affirming and encouraging you all the time, and that's the way I'm showing you love, then you can probably bet that that's the way I receive love. And so you can read someone's love language by reading the way that they love others. And there's a lot of other examples. It's not a perfect science, but it's a great indicator. And I wish that every person in your life would know how you receive love. And they they would give love to you in the way that you give love. And that you would receive the love that you need. And the affirmation and the quality time and the gifts. And whatever it is that's your love language. However you experience the love that you desire. I wish you were getting that from the people that you're giving love to. But I believe that love can endure in unloving relationships. And it could be that the way that you continually demonstrate patient love and kind love and non-self-seeking love and the way that you bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things, it could be that that is the catalyst for changing their heart and allowing you to experience the love that you desire. And the third thing is that love can endure even unlovable people. I look at a lot of examples of the people that Jesus interacted with. He walked through the streets of that day that are recorded in the Gospels, and we see time and time again him loving people that society had shunned, that society had labeled and marked. They are unlovable. They are meant to be pushed aside, cast aside. There's something about them that pushes them outside the normal bounds of who we love as a culture. Those people still exist today. And I believe that love endures even to those people. Even people that treat you wrong, even people that don't return that love that you give, even people that seem to be so incredibly difficult. Could it be that God's called you to endure and love even the most unlovable because of what he desires to do in their heart through the way that you love them? Love can endure unlovable people. And here's how I know that. Here's how I know all of that. Because in John chapter 13, verse 34, we are given, right in the middle of a larger piece of text, we are given this one verse that could be transformational for you. So if, you, if you're taking notes on your worship guide, if you've got your Bible, you want to underline this, it's in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 30, or really just 34 is all we're going to read right this second. This is how you can know what I just told you about those three things. That love can endure in unlovely situations and love can endure unloving relationships and love can endure unlovable people. Here's how you can know that in John 13, 34. This is what Jesus says to a group of people that were talking to him and really trying to determine what it was about the kingdom and what it was about him and relationship. This is what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So before we get to the resolve of this, I want you to think back about eight minutes ago. Back to the future. No, back to the past. Here we go. Eight minutes ago. I said love bears all things. Love bears all things. That means that you kind of just endure the annoying things that other people do. How many of you thought about the annoying things that the other person does? You want to lift your hand? You want to be honest? No? Bunch of liars in the room? That's great. Listen to the podcast from last week about being truthful. Okay? 
How many of you would be honest and say, I thought about my annoying things? I thought about the fact that somebody loves me in in spite of the fact that I'm annoying. There's a woman down here who puts up with me. I'm annoying. I got some stuff that it's not easy to live with. Right? How many of you, when I said, hey, love believes all things, you thought about, man, they told me that, and I don't know how it's true, but think about the things that you've said that that seem impossible to believe, and somebody believed you. I said, love hopes all things. Love is about looking towards a good tomorrow, not looking for a way out. And you thought, yeah, you know, I really stood in there. I could have found a way out, but I stood in there and I I was hoping and I was believing and I was about how many of you actually thought though, you know what? I, I did some wrong things and they stayed in. They stayed with us. They hoped for a better tomorrow. They had this vision of what could be in the future and they just stayed And they just kept plugging along and they just took the necessary steps to say, yeah, we're hoping for a better tomorrow. How many of you, when I said, yeah, we love endures all things. You thought about all the things that you've endured to stay in love with whoever it is in your life. But if we're honest, did any of us really think about the things that other people have to endure to stay in love with us? Jesus said to these people that were asking, he said, Here's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You know what Jesus is saying? There's a lot of people that think you're unlovable. There's a lot of people that think you're messy. There's a lot of people that think you don't get it right all the time. There are some things that you do that aren't perfect. There are some things that you've done in your past that are difficult to believe. And yet, I love When I was younger, I was a little kid. My children's pastor used to tell me this. Anytime I had to question God's love for me, I just looked to the cross and he says, I love you this much, right? So he's looking down and he's saying to you, you're, you got some difficult things to love. Just as I have loved you in spite of all those things, you are to love one another. And so here, here's what this looks like. They're going to throw this on the screen. There's going to be a little fill in the blank here. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love, fill in the blank. Really succinctly, it says it this way. Just as Christ loves me, I am called to love. What's their name? What's their name? Where, where, where are they at in your life? They're on the job. They're the most unlovable person you've ever met in your whole life. Nobody's friend. Their dog hates them. But just as Christ loves me, I'm called to love that guy on the job, that girl. In my home, in my marriage, in my dating relationship, just as Christ loved me, I am called to love My kids, my parents, if you're a a child in the room of some parents that still have a relationship with you in kind of an everyday process, no matter your age, maybe you're a a child, middle school, grade school, uh, high school, college, young adult, but you still got this kind of ongoing relationship with your parents where they still speak in your life. They may still support you in some way. And, And man, there's some things about them that just drive you insane. Guess what? There's some things about you that drive them insane, right? 
Just as Christ loves you, you are called to love dad. Just as Christ loves you, you're called to love mom. Just as Christ loves you, you're called to love son, daughter, boss, wife. This is the evaluation tool for me. 1 Corinthians 13, I don't believe, is about them. It's not about them being patient and kind and not self-seeking and not envying. and not. It's about me being patient and kind. And so if I ever get off track there, I just have to look here. Just as Christ loves me, I am called to love whatever their name is. Even when dad annoys me, I'm called to love him. Even when my husband says something that he says is the truth and it's difficult to believe, I'm called to believe all things in love. Even even when she wants a way out, I'm hoping for a good tomorrow. Even when we can't have a conversation without fighting, I'm called to endure all things and love whatever their name is. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we close. I just want you to think about the name that you just put in that blank. Who are they to you? What part of your life do they live in? Do they take up? And again, it's not about them. It's about me, my response toward them. Just as Christ loved me, I am called to love them. To conclude this series, I'm going to do what we did to start this series. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 13 over you. And I don't want you to think about them. I don't want you to think, why don't they do that? I want you to think about you. I want you to evaluate your heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. God, I pray now for every person in this room and every person who may listen to this at some point in the future. God, we we believe that you've called us to love. You demonstrated love to us. You said, for God so loved the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This idea that we didn't earn your love, but you freely extended love to us in spite of everything that we were and everything that we are and everything we've done to be unlovable. You demonstrate love and you call us to love. And Paul has written an incredible passage here 
that challenges us to love. And so now, God, I pray for every person that's listening to evaluate our hearts and how we love. Not to look for a way out, but to look for a way to stay in. To find a way to bear all things and to find a way to believe all things, to find a way to hope all things, to find a way to endure all things. We believe you, God. We just saying that nothing is impossible for you. And so, God, even difficult relationships aren't impossible for you to heal, for you to breathe life into, and for you to resurrect things that are left for dead. And so, God, I pray today that you would help us to love in a way that demonstrates the love that we receive from you. Just as Christ loves us, let us love fill in the blank. That person in our life that's so difficult to love, that's hurt us, that's left us. God, administer healing and forgiveness there and let us love in response to the love that we have received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.